0: Want to get into the meat of God's word for just the next six weeks. Uh, I tried to do a 20-week Wednesday night, and everybody was gung ho for the first eight, and then the last 12 of Revelation, I felt like I was uh, kind of going at it alone. But we we feel like we found the sweet spot with this six-week class in the fall and the spring. So I'm always going to try to do a pastor's class um, and just kind of connect with people, get to know you a little bit, and do some practical teaching. And the Lord really put it on my heart to teach on the family and marriage. Uh, My wife, Kelly's in here. I'm going to try to embarrass her as much as possible the next six weeks and tell stories that uh, make me look good and that paint her in a bad... No, I'm just kidding. Kelly and I have been married over 20 years by the grace of God. Don't ask me how we got here other than the grace of God because our marriage uh, didn't start off... Uh, in an ideal way. We were kids. Uh, She had just turned 18, I was 19. And so we're a statistic, but a good one. Uh, About 90% of the marriages that start as early as ours did don't make it. And ours probably wouldn't have had God not got involved, to be honest. Uh, God got involved when uh, I was 23 or 24, she was a year younger than me. And God got involved in our marriage and, and saved it. And it's not that we didn't love each other. We just were very immature. We we started adulting so early, we never really had an opportunity to build a relationship in a godly way. So we jumped from uh, a pretty volatile relationship to a marriage, to having babies. And so we, we were playing catch up with God's process the whole time. So we needed a shaking with God uh, for us to put him at the center and become the, the kind of husband and the kind of wife that he had intended for us to be as well as the kind of parents that uh, he intended for us to be. So there's grace from us always when we counsel couples. Uh, there's an abundance of grace that comes from us because we know how hard it is. Anybody that says marriage is easy uh, has lost their mind Anybody that says parenting is easy has lost their mind. Um, They're they're very rewarding and God blesses both, but they're not easy. Um, uh, A marriage is a commitment above all. And uh, there are days where the love wears off. Um, Even the attraction may wear off, but the commitment with God in the center, the covenant is what keeps a marriage together. So please email me this week, next week. Uh, Adam Snyder will be uh, bringing us a teaching his wife Kendall I see is back there I wanted Adam to speak one because I believe in him and I believe God's hand is on him to be a marketplace minister really him and Kendall I believe God's got a ministry call in their lives and if someone's got that kind of call you got to just push them in front of people and Selena Alejandro came up to me and had a had a prophetic word in the spirit about Adam and not my spirit agreed with that and so I asked Adam some time ago if he would share, I wanted a couple that's actually got little kids to be part of uh, this teaching that'll be on the podcast and internet as well, because Kelly and I are kind of past that. We have a 22-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 13-year-old, and so am I one year off, 12-year-old? Oh, well, Trey, forget him, he's grown. As long as I didn't forget the ones that are under the roof, that's all that matters, but 21, and we'll turn 22 in July, and 16 and 13. So we're past the toddler ages, and it goes by fast. So I want um, a couple that's really do- doing that to talk to you about some of their experiences. So I have no doubt that'll be good. If you have to work late or something, and you need to get here late, like it's 6 or 7, you're not going to offend me, okay? Drift in when you can. Life is life. Kids have stuff. Come when you can. It's, it's, it's all good. So email me any questions you have along the way, we'll do our best to answer them the following week. And tonight I wanna deal with the topic of covenant, covenant. I wanna talk to you about the marriage being a covenant. It's not just a governmental agreement here in the United States of America or in whatever country um, that you're from. It is a spiritual agreement between two people. And it is a very serious agreement. So I want to give you the biblical background of covenant. I want to talk to you about how you fight for your marriage. And then we're going to do a little bit of uh, praying and setting the atmosphere. So let's just begin with a word of prayer tonight for this series. Father God, I just thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for the people who will be listening to this at a later date on podcasts or wherever they are. Lord, I pray for marriages in this room, in our church, in our city that are falling apart, that are broken, where there's infidelity on both sides, where there's anger, where there's violence. Lord, we come against that and we speak peace, we speak unity, we speak spirit power over all the marriages and the covenants in our region. Lord, we ask for your divine favor. We ask for you to put yourself in the center of these marriages and Lord, transform them into godly marriages. Transform them into the kind of relationships that would bring you glory, that would raise good and godly children. Lord, that would build a legacy that lasts, not just on this earth, but throughout eternity. We ask these things tonight in Jesus' name, amen. So first, just a quick background on covenant. Over 200 times in the word of God, you see the word covenant. It's a binding agreement between two individuals or entities. Um, We get our English word contract. um, So it would be a rough equivalent to the spiritual word covenant. Uh, In street language, it's basically a a deal uh, that that joins two parties together. Uh, It's a divine contract between two people or two entities. Um, The old covenant word for that I've taught on Sunday mornings here many times is bereith. And that word simply means to cut. So in the old covenant and in creation, there was no redemption, forgiveness, or a covenant without the shedding of blood. Which in our modern day culture, that sounds weird. But not if you understand the word of God, you understand the role that Jesus played when he died on the cross, that that wasn't just something strange. That was a fulfillment of Hebrew prophecy that his blood would be shed to pay for the sins of mankind. Uh, it was used of nations um, in, involving peace treaties and things of that nature. Um, it's between individuals as a pledge or an agreement uh, between a monarchs and the people uh, our constitution in America is very similar to a covenant, but God made a covenant with us through his son, Jesus. In the Bible, the stronger party or the party that has the most authority sets the terms of the covenant or the deal. Let me give you a thought-provoking question that is that has just chased me for years. What constitutes a godly marriage and how do we know for sure God joined it together what I've come to realize in my life is there are many relationships that didn't begin in a godly way and ended in an ungodly way and if a relationship doesn't begin in a godly way, then unless God gets involved, it's probably not going to end well. Can I get an amen? Even though we just have a few folks in here. And what tends to happen is we chase all of these things and we never deal with our covenant with our wife, with our husband. We, and many times people get married under false pretenses. They don't consult God. They're not Christians, they get married and then it becomes a Jerry Springer episode and they blame God for it. Well, it's not God's fault because there's a way a covenant works. And if the covenant works the way God intended for it to work, then the only thing that can happen is blessing favor protection doesn't mean that life will be easy it just means God will give you and your partner a shared destiny he'll give you a shared destiny and you'll learn to become one flesh okay so back to the word covenant I believe covenant is the key to shared destinies God has always operated on the basis of covenant in the garden of Eden Adam cut open his side or God did in order to bring forth Eve. That was the first marriage covenant, and it started with what? The shedding of blood. Um, Many of you are females in here, and I'm not gonna get scientific, but to this day, if a woman remains a virgin until she is married, her body is structured in such a way that when the marriage is consummated, there is blood that is shed that relates to the covenant. This is how God created us. So even when Adam and Eve sinned, which cursed us all. That's why everybody in here struggles is because of Adam and Eve, the first marriage's original sin. Um, When they sinned, though, God immediately put in a plan of redemption. So if your marriage starts off jacked up as Kelly and my marriage did, it started off bad. It didn't start off in a godly way. And she would be the first to tell you that had God not got involved when I was 24, We would have never made it. We were about to kill each other. One of us would probably be dead, to be honest with you. Um, But God got involved. So the point of what I'm saying is, if God didn't ordain your marriage or he wasn't involved when you first got married, the covenant either gets broken or the covenant is never considered legitimate by God, which give me a few weeks and we'll get into that. But it either breaks a divorce, there's more hurt that you have to try to deal with as you get into another relationship, or God gets involved because there's a a real love there, and then God gets involved and tries to recreate you and your mate. And that's what I believe God wants to do. So even when Adam and Eve sinned, immediately there was a plan of redemption. And how did that plan of redemption look? Uh, bloody animal skins. Animals were killed, and Adam and Eve were just naked, chilling naked in the Garden of Eden. Just no insecurity, just having a ball. All of a sudden, they sin, and then they're insecure. Then they're hiding from God. So, in order for all of that to be recreated in the plan of redemption, which was Jesus. To be implemented, the first thing we have again is the shedding of blood and their clothes with animal skins, which would lead to the Savior. God made a covenant with Noah to save the human race. Noah offered blood sacrifices uh, to Jehovah and Jehovah made the covenant of the rainbow uh, never to destroy the earth by flood again. God's covenant with creation, Genesis 9. God entered into a covenant with one nation through Abraham, Genesis 15. Abraham had rescued Lot and had seen a picture of Jesus Christ in Melchizedek. Abraham refused the king of Sodom, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and all that was going on there. And he received the king of Salem. After this, God appeared to Abraham in a vision. And when he did, he was blessed and a covenant was created between the father of our faith, Abraham and Jehovah. And this is what it said. Abraham refused the wealth and the rewards of this world to go with God. And because of that, God says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. So a covenant was made there. And so from the beginning of time, we see the power of this agreement between two parties, and certainly the fact that God has created a covenant with us. This leads to um, so many other things God promised Abraham. Uh, his legacy through Isaac, but says, hey, you've got to offer Isaac on the altar. You've got to actually shed the, son, the blood of your son. And if you do that, there'll be a, you know, you're going to receive again, your exceedingly great reward. And God created a substitutionary sacrifice pointing to what Jesus would do for us. Moses came and received the law. Well, what's the law? Uh, Jews call it the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Law, the Books of Law, but it's also called the Old Covenant, right? We talk about the New Testament. We talk about grace. It's a new covenant. So the word covenant's important. The Bible is a book of covenants. And even the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, they weren't given to save us. They were given to show us our need for redemption and a savior. That's why, you know, when the Israelites are rejoicing in the law, Moses is crying out, behold the blood, behold the blood, Exodus 24, eight, because he knew that a sacrifice was important. So just giving you a quick background, David entered into a covenant with God. Um, Jeremiah entered a covenant with God. So Marriage is supposed to be a covenant agreement that's that serious where the two people sacrifice for one another, where you lay aside your prerogatives, even in some cases, your own destiny for a shared destiny, your own dreams for a shared dream, uh, your own plans for a shared plan that God is involved with. So here's what it says. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place of the flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I think this is like him just being awestruck that she's hot is what I think it is. I I think he's like, holy smokes, I've never seen anything that I've liked this much in my entire life. And I think Adam is extremely excited. That is why, verse 24, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife as they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So, marriage number one is a covenant worth fighting for. Recently, Loretta Lynn died uh, within the last few days. And I've said this before, but uh, early in our marriage, my family would always call me Doolittle and Kelly Loretta because we married so young and it aggravated us and it was funny and we'd watch that movie. But... I've always loved Loretta Lynn's story coming from abject poverty into coal mines into being the queen of country music. And if you've ever seen the movie Coal Miner's Daughter with with Sissy Spacek and Tommy Lee Jones, it's a really great depiction of her early life. And there's some rough stuff in there, but it's a phenomenal movie. Um, Sissy Spacek won an Academy Award. Um, So did Tommy Lee Jones. It's a great movie. And, And I love the scene where Loretta Lynn, after they've been married, she goes home, she's just like 14, and she's married to this you know, 19, 20 year old guy that's been in the armed forces and he's rough and tough and she decides she's gonna go home, they're fighting. And then they connect on the street somewhere at a later date, she's pregnant and they're talking and uh, she said, you promised my daddy you'd never make me leave this town and he says something pretty profound. He said, well, honey, you're going to have to decide whether you're his daughter or my wife. And that's always stuck with me because when you get married, uh, both for the male and the female, it's a decision to say, listen, I'm going to love and honor my parents, but this is, this is now my new family. And One of the things that I know Kelly and I struggled with when we first got married is, you know, in-laws try to run things, especially if you get married young. And if you let them, they'll forever be running things. And that's just the way it is. You're supposed to leave your father and mother and cling to your husband and or your wife. And what tends to happen sometimes in marriages is, you know, the in-laws on either side are, are way too involved. They're just way too involved. And that's a recipe for disaster. The way we kind of always dealt with it practically was... If the in-laws tried to get us in a mess, we would always just answer and say, well, let me talk to Kelly, and I'll get back with you. Or let me talk to Ronnie, and I'll get back with you. We wouldn't let them bait us. Because sometimes my mom, she, she, here's what she would pull. She would call me and want us to do something, and I wouldn't want to. So I'd be like, no, we can't do that. So she'd call Kelly two days later and be like, hey, I talked to Ronnie. Are y'all coming over Sunday? And Kelly didn't know anything about it, so she's trying to play that game. And uh so so we had to learn, you know, how how to navigate. No, let, let us talk, we'll get back to you. I'll have Ronnie call your, if it was something else, you know, with, with my in-laws. But, you know, and if if maybe you're in that in-law um role, my advice to you, if you're older, you have kids that are married or grandkids, love and support, but stay out of it. Stay out of it. And when I counsel young couples, I always tell them this. Do not be going home, unless it's abuse or something serious, absolutely tell somebody if you're getting abused or anything like that. But if if you or your husband or wife that you get in a fight, don't be calling crying to mama. And men are the worst calling their mamas and crying. Because what sometimes happens is, You two forgive each other in three days and y'all are on a date and everything's forgotten. But when you call and cry to mama, she's going to remember that you hurt her baby boy or you hurt her baby girl. And then it's, she gonna take them a while to get over that stuff. And so, yeah, you need an outlet. You need people to talk to, but it doesn't need to be your mama and your daddy. It needs to be someone that can be trusted that won't try to get involved and and it's for your marriage to be successful. Uh, When you're younger, uh, your friends aren't really the best people to ask for advice, especially if you get married early like we did. I got some of the worst advice from my friends ever, uh, and so did Kelly. I mean, uh, you want someone that really is a, a believer in Jesus Christ that's saved too that's had some experience in marriage. I mean, if your girlfriend changes boyfriends every three months and's never been married, that's not who you wanna take advice from if you and your husband are into it. If your boyfriend uh, has never been married and he's running all over the town, or your buddies, men, you don't wanna listen to them in your 20s. So uh, you need people in your life that are for the covenant of marriage and understanding. It's worth fighting for. Um, You wanna fight for your marriage. You leave your father and mother, you cling to your husband and also you you have to be protective of the covenant which means you can't let just anybody in your family in your home in, in your walk because listen people use the phrase home wreckers you know they're out there uh the enemy has women that want to come on to your man and they have uh men that want to that want to you know hit on your wife there's all these things and you you want to set boundaries is what I tell my couples that I counsel. You want to set some boundaries from the beginning before you get married. You want to talk through, okay, what would make you uncomfortable? For instance, uh, a lot of times with these young couples, I, I, my job is kind of to get them thinking about things, even kind of poking the bear to get them arguing a little bit so they're ready for disagreement after they get married, right? And so I'll ask them sometimes, well, how would you feel if he went with a lady from work to eat lunch, just the two of them? And most of the time, uh, the wife is like, absolutely not. I wouldn't like that. And I was like, okay, well, would you, was that something if it happened by happenstance, maybe six or seven people were supposed to eat from work, but five of them didn't show and they're just kind of, it just kind of happened. Is that something you'd want him to call and tell you or not? Well, yeah, but see, they'd never even thought about this stuff, what so what's amazing to me because this kind of stuff happens. It happened to us uh, one time. I was, I was working at Unum and there were six of us supposed to go eat and the next thing I know, it's me and this other girl that's my age and it was weird, like, and I, I, you know, it was, it was weird. I told Kelly about it, uh, and but if I don't tell her about it and then somebody else sees me at the Mexican restaurant with a, uh, with a lady, it's going to be World War III. And, if, and the same thing. So the communication piece and being able to fight off, you know, temptations and things of that nature, it's going to help your marriage. And it exists. Uh, there are people that the enemy will use. It's not that these people are necessarily bad. They're just, they're just not under the control of the Holy Spirit. And there are people that will destroy your marriage if you, if you get them too close. And don't think just because they're in church, they're spiritual and perfect either. Because there's a lot of adultery that goes on in church. A lot of people throwing their marriages away in church. And just because someone goes to church with you, that doesn't mean they can't be abusive and adulterous, okay? I wish it was the other way around, but it's the truth. So you have to guard uh, your marriage. You have to fight uh, for your marriage. Satan hates the covenant of marriage. Satan hates generational legacy. Uh, He wants to confuse people about their identity he wants people to feel unloved, unworthy, empty, and alone. That's that's the, the game Satan plays. So if he can get in your mind, he can make you feel unworthy, empty, alone, like you're not good enough. That's the game that Satan plays. He is a destructive and an evil entity that hates anything that is a picture of who God is. So marriage is a picture, according to Ephesians and Colossians, of God's love for the bride, his people, his church, his love. So the enemy is always gonna try to attack anything that's a covenant. If you have a covenant with your church, if you've made a commitment, the enemy wants to attack you in the area of covenant. He wants to attack your legacy, your children. He wants to attack your marriage. He wants to attack those things that look the most like God, amen? So we have to be prepared for that. Um, in some parts of this country there are more divorces than marriages even in church with people who claim Christianity the divorce rate is the same um, if not worse among Christian people as it is uh, the atheist or the agnostic and we just got to do better church I mean we just got to do better and that's that's not a very good testimony and then you know Evangelicals are raising Cain about gay marriage and all this other stuff. Well, until we figure out how to have a heterosexual marriage and do it God's way, we really don't need to be chiming in on anybody till we can start doing things God's way. Um, Many times, you know, we see single moms having to do way too much. We don't, we see the men absentee, not stepping up, doing very little single moms are the heroes of the the world and single dads. Um, And I applaud them. I give them my hat off. I mean, I think they're heroes and they do amazing and God will bless those things. Many times it's not their fault. It's not what they wanted. And we need to help our single parents. Um, But I've also seen some dads that are single trying to do the right thing. And I've seen some crazy women that really make it their mission to keep the dad out of the children's lives. I, I, I deal with it. You'd be surprised at the court stuff I get drawn into. And, and I can tell you this after being in ministry 15 or 16 years, uh, there's some absentee dads uh, that didn't step up to the plate that, that are not supportive. But, man, there's some absentee moms too. And there's some hateful m- women that do not want their fathers in their children's lives. And it's just becomes a domino effect of dysfunction and, and hatefulness uh, if you see that. God can redeem and restore anything. So if you have a divorce or you have a child, uh, God can teach the divorced couple how to work together and move on and, and do good for the child. God is in the redemption, forgiving recreating business. But if we don't get him involved in the situation, he can't do anything uh, if we're unwilling to let him in to the situation. And because of the dysfunction in the marriage, um, we see that the children really crying out for attention and spending too much time on their smartphone. Listen, we're guilty of that. Um, We've probably let our kids... Be on the smartphone or the Xbox too much at times. Uh, but I can speak for my house. We don't want Xbox raising our kids, and we certainly don't want the iPhone raising our kids, and you don't either. Uh, it's interesting to me that even Steve Jobs wouldn't let his own children mess around with the iPhone till they were over 12 years old because he didn't think it was good for them and we've all got our kids hooked on these things at an early age when they really should be outside in the sunlight learning how to interact with people face to face and so many times we do that because there's so many issues at home with the marriage that we do with the kids we, we just we just want to kind of shelter them from what we're dealing with so we we get them a smart device and say go go do your thing so you don't we don't have to deal with it and we've got to do better but We've got to get back to the Word of God. Um, We've got to get back to the Bible truths, not our opinions, Um, prayer over the smartphone, um, kingdom principles over material things. Uh, It's not what you leave to your children, it's what you leave in your children. You can leave millions of dollars to them and if they have nothing in them, they'll blow through that money in just a short time frame and they will still be empty. Our goal as parents is to leave a spiritual legacy to our children's children. We're to leave something in them. It's good to leave something to them as well, but if you don't leave something in them as well as to them, then they're going to be empty when they get to the age of adulthood. We don't bring our children to church anymore. Uh, A lot of times when people go through a divorce in marriage, um, it's like, who gets to keep the church and who doesn't you know and uh because of that the faithfulness to the church because of i don't know if it's shame or guilt or what it is but when you have a breakdown in the marriage it affects their faithfulness to hear the word to worship god to be with other believers it affects that whole accountability piece and then you see people just completely unplugged from the house of god which is a recipe for disaster so it's a desperate situation Uh, but it's not hopeless. I I genuinely believe God can transform any house into a home. I believe that with all my heart. I saw him do that with Kelly and I, and I told you at the beginning, our courtship was very tough. And uh, we're just grateful that God got involved, but he didn't do it by zipping down from the clouds like Superman into our home. We had to cry out to him in desperation. We, we all want God to fix it, but if you don't petition him through prayer and fasting and, and, and crying and, and really get real with God that you really want his help, then there's not much he can do if you don't allow him in to do the work, amen? So we need to get God involved in our marriages. What is the uh, fourfold purpose of marriage and children? God designed the family for specific purposes. First, let's talk about the marriage piece. The first purpose of marriage and children, there's a spiritual purpose. When we read Genesis 1, verse 27, we discover that it takes both male and female to complete the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. God made male and female in order to set forth the completeness and perfection of his divine image. All the delightful things about man and woman are patterned after God. From him came authority, strength, teamwork, unity, grace, redemption, sacrifice, all that you will experience in a marriage that is ordained by God. Also from God the Father, we have tenderness, resourcefulness, love, the love not only of an authoritarian, but the love of a mother, a nurturing kind of love, Uh, the image of God Is complete in a marriage, believe it or not. And I don't know your story. I'd love to know it. I know we've got different stories in here. But I can say this as difficult as our marriage was the first five years, and man, it was bad, it was a process. Once we decided to get married, it did start to shift things in the right direction. And, and I can't explain it, but the moment we made that covenant together before God, things didn't instantly get better, but it started a process of maturity and transformation because we were very broken and volatile before we got married. So simply making a covenant is not gonna fix that automatically, it, but it can start a process and it invites God to work with you not against you. It invites God to work with you not against you. It's amazing to me people they've got two or three kids together, you know, and they're living together. They've been together on and off for 20 years but they won't get married. And I'm like, you kind of already are. You know, why not just go ahead and do it? But I think people are scared to death of of taking that step either because of past hurt or whatever it is. But for us, uh, I really feel like because we were in sin and we weren't doing it God's way in our teens, that God really worked against us being together. But the moment we made that covenant, and it was a godly covenant, then we still had a number of issues to work through. But God was no longer working against us. See, if you're doing it God's way, he'll work for you, even if you're jacked up like we were. But if you're not doing it his way and you're doing things in a dishonorable and biblical way, then God's not gonna bless that. Um, I know we would like him to bless our mess, but if he's not involved, he's not gonna bless a mess. God's just not gonna do it unless we involve him. So I started seeing a change, but there's a spiritual purpose in marriage. There's a physical purpose in marriage. Genesis two, verse 24. We're told that two become one flesh. The husband and wife are supposed to delight in each other physically. Okay. Um, First Corinthians chapter seven. Y'all didn't know we were going here tonight, but we're just going to go here a little bit. We'll get into it more in a few weeks. First Corinthians seven warns against the withholding of sex by either partner. Okay, you're all adults in here, so don't get red-faced on me, all right? Um, three main causes of divorce. Financial issues, drugs and alcohol, sexual incompatibility. These three have been the main three for 30 years, more probably. Financial stress, drugs and alcohol abuse, sexual incompatibility. Um If you are not loving your spouse and you have the ability to in a sexual way and you're withholding that from your spouse, and I've seen males do it and females, that's a form of rejection. And eventually, you are basically going to push your spouse into the arms of someone else. And that's why I'm always careful to judge a situation because... There's a lot of evil that goes on in the confines of marriages, even in church. There's a lot of of meanness and and evil things that happen, such as withholding yourself from your partner is like a form of punishment. I'm just gonna get real. I, I know men whose wives didn't sleep with them for years and years. And then pastor friends of mine eventually would make a mistake, sexually, or fall into sin, and then and their whole lives are ruined, their lives are destroyed, but people don't know that what they were living in behind the scenes, it doesn't excuse their sin, I'll never excuse sin. What I'm going to say is, though, was the marriage a godly marriage? Was it something God jo- joined together? If it was a godly marriage, then no man or woman can destroy that marriage, but if it wasn't a godly marriage, then you have this demonic, nonsensical stuff like that that goes on. The Bible says uh, that we're not to withhold. If we're physically able to love our spouse in a sexual way, we need to be getting it on, okay? I mean, don't withhold it from each other. It, it's something that God created for marriage. It's supposed to be fun. It's something that we should do and that we should enjoy doing, um, A selfish marriage where sex is used as a weapon is a fraud. I don't believe it is a God-ordained marriage. And I'm getting to the place in my study where I'm wondering if many of our marriages, even in churches, are godly marriages. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I'm I'm beginning to wonder, uh, God, did you even spiritually cover this when they did it? Have you ever asked that question? You've seen some people and man, they just, the way they treat each other that, you know, and you're you're wondering, God, was this ever a marriage? Like, was it, were you ever involved in this at all? Did they consult you? Here's what the word of God says. The wife hath no power over her body, but the husband, and likewise, the husband has no power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud not one the other. Don't defraud each other of, of sexual love do not do it. He said, except it be for consent for a time, a season that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, then later come together again sexually so that Satan will not tempt you so that you won't give the devil a foothold to destroy your marriage. Um, Hebrews thirteen four says, marriage is honorable above all and the bed undefiled special place godly place where fun can take place joy intimacy but whoremongers and adulterers god will judge the bible commands a man to rejoice with the wife of their youth proverbs 5 18 so even in malachi which i am walking you through on sunday morning and i'm going to get into this in a few weeks i'm going to talk about Divorce and remarriage. I don't have time tonight with 15 or 16 more minutes. But I'll say this. I'm going to unfold that in two weeks on a Sunday morning. And to simplify it for you, I believe there are two things that, that gives credence to a divorce. First one, the Bible's extremely clear about, and that's adultery. And the second one is abuse. I, I don't believe anyone should have to live... Uh, Under abuse of any kind Physical, sexual, torment I don't believe that's God's best And I can prove those things to you in the scriptures And plan to do that in a few weeks And so we're not saying that you should be abused Or or treated uh, disrespectfully in any way But we're saying in a godly marriage um, The bed should be undefiled And if you have all of these other things happening outside of that bed Uh, There's something going on there that needs to be addressed. The sin, the spiritual aspect of it, the mental aspect of it, there's something going on there. Um, The Bible also commands us to live joyfully with the spouse that we have loved all the days of our life. Um, Much of what we um, deal with in these divorces is just really a lack of intimacy, uh, the other is, you know, you you have a lot of substance abuse and alcoholism, and you know, men are traveling alone, drinking too much. Women are traveling alone, drinking too much, doing things. Their inability to make the right decision, they've put themselves in an ungodly situation, and then something happens, and then it then it becomes uh, an issue of rejection. Of, of a broken covenant, and then turmoil sets in. So there's a, certainly a spiritual purpose in marriage. There's a physical purpose. Then there's a social purpose. Uh, Genesis 1:28, God blesses the man and woman. And then here's what the command to populate and dominate or take dominion over the earth. He says that each marriage is to be a self-supporting system uh, separate from your in-laws or separate from yesterday where you're literally sharing a destiny with one another. You're helping take dominion over this earth. You're, you're advancing God's kingdom together as one unit. Um, what is the s- social role for a parent, parents that have children? Um, I'm just going to touch on this We'll get into this a little bit more We're going to get into a little bit more parenting next week Just wanted to lay the covenant foundation Tonight But Once you have the Spiritual purpose in place The affection purpose in place The practical purpose in place Of a marriage Then you get into the parenting The legacy part of it And what are some basics About Raising up a child well, Deuteronomy eleven nineteen says we're to teach our children the scriptures. That's not just mom's job or dad's job we're to teach our children the scripture. One way to do that's bringing them to church. Uh, that's about the simplest way you can do it. If you have a good church with a kid's ministry that teaches the Bible, that's where they need to be. Maybe you're not comfortable in teaching. You need to have them in an environment where they're learning the scriptures. I'm very thankful. My father didn't teach me the scriptures, my mom did. You people be shocked by that, but dad was so busy. I mean, I had to learn from him being here. Uh, my mother taught me the word of God. She taught me the hymns. She taught me everything. Uh, and, and this church and the people of this church. Angie's mother put up with me and taught me some scriptures. And back in that day, we had what was called Bible drill. Anybody remember Bible drilling here? Oh my gosh, I'm getting old. Kendall does. Letricia, I see you. Okay, so we literally, it was like a competition of scripture memorization. And you'd go to district, you'd go to state and all this stuff. So I did that. And I'm thankful for it now. I didn't always like it then, but I'm thankful for it now. But we have to teach our children the scriptures. Why? Because when they get to the age of accountability, they're always gonna call you as mom or dad, but they need to learn how to call on the Lord. They need to learn what God's word says for themselves because you're not always gonna be here to clean up their mess, to bandage their knee, to to give them a shoulder to cry on if their marriage is in trouble or they lose their job or whatever. So they need to know what God's word says. They need to know how to dig the truth out of that word. Uh, the family is to nurture and discipline the children. Um, you know, one parent doesn't need to be the, the good guy and the other one be the bad guy. You both should nurture, you both should discipline. Um, you know, in some cases, um, you you have like the one parent that's like the cool parent, the loving parent, and the one that's always the bad guy, disciplining, and grounding. You need to kind of mix those roles up and, you know, you need to make those decisions together and uh, not always make the other person the bad guy or good guy families to be a place where children are trained up in the Lord Proverbs 22, six. Um, look, I've all my children went to public school, elementary school. I did. Um, my middle one goes public high school. Um, listen, uh, you, you got to do what's best for your kids. It might be homeschool, might be Christian school, might be private school, might be public school. I'm gonna tell you there's hell in all of it and there's glory in all of it. Okay. Uh, Honestly, you know, I just pulled my kid out of a Christian school and put him in the school I went to because the Christian school was the worst thing I'd ever done in my life. But I'm not saying that would be the same for everybody. I'm just saying it was a hard, terrible thing for him. And every now and then you've got to make the right decisions and you got to get your kid out of a bad environment, whatever that may be. That's what we had to do. So here, here's the situation. Um, It's not the school's job to train your children, it's your job. So it's not the Christian school's fault, the public school's fault, private school's fault, it's not anybody's fault. Our jobs are to train our own children. You know, they're a direct reflection of us. Isn't that scary? I know it was when I was coming up for my parents, but they're a direct reflection of what they've learned and seen in us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That doesn't mean that every kid that's bad or has a season of rebellion had bad parents. That's just not true. Uh, There's some godly parents out there that kids just decide, make a decision to go the wrong way. And that happens. But the Bible promises us if we did our job when they're little, that when they get older, they're gonna come back. Even if they take a wrong road, go the wrong way, disappoint us, break our hearts, that if we raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we train them right. That when they get older Older might mean 20, might mean 30 Might mean 50, might mean 60 But that they will come back To the Lord And I'm holding on to that uh, For all of you Listening, all of you that are here tonight Maybe you have a child that's away from the Lord Or a grandchild I'm believing they're going to come back You know, that prodigal son parable Jesus told it for many reasons But one was to know That Kids do come home. God does find His way into the hearts of kids. And uh, what I deal with a lot is parents that have a lot of guilt and uh, blame themselves when their kids go the wrong way. Sometimes it is a direct reflection of how the kid was raised, but many times it's not. Uh, listen, in Jewish culture, you were considered an adult at twelve. So many of our teenagers—I mean, they—they don't—they're not kids, right? They—they they have a mind of—they think they're grown. So they make grown people decisions and they have to pay the consequences of those and they're dealing with growing up and hormones and all that. Sometimes they make bad decisions. Um, There's a practical purpose in marriage. What is that purpose? Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good for us to be alone. Um, God Wanted for us the same thing he longed for in himself. And that's fellowship. God could have created us to be robots, perfect, almost like the angels where we just were pre-programmed to be perfect little Jesus freaks, right? But he didn't. And I know the reason he didn't is because he longs to be loved back. He, he wants the same affection that he has given to us to be given back to him. And that can't be forced. That has to be done by our free will. We love God, not because we have to, because we want to. We worship God, not because we have to, but because we want to. We love our mate, not because we have to, but because we want to. We forgive our spouse, not because we have to, because we want to. And that's where the covenant becomes spiritual and practical is when we choose to do the right thing. God wanted us in our marriages to have joy and fellowship, companionship, friendship with the right person. And he wanted it to be a picture of his love for his church, right? He wanted us to understand that we are his bride and that yes, wives are to submit to their husbands, but the husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It's not either or. They happen in conjunction with one another. So if you're not husband, if you're not loving your wife, like God loves his church, if you're not pouring that love on her, then guess what? She's not going to submit. And wife, if you're stubborn and refuse to submit, it's going to be very hard for him to love you the way you deserve to be loved. This is a mutual, everybody say the word mutual with me. Mutual submission. Both have to happen in conjunction with the other. In the creation account in Genesis, God because everything good, when he creates it, man, this is good. This is good. Oh, yeah, that's good. It's good. Except Adam being alone. That's the only thing that he doesn't declare is good is loneliness. He longs for fellowship and communion with us. And in a marriage, you got to have the same exact thing. It is one flesh. God created us to live in one flesh flesh. So I want to give you um, some principles next week um, for family success and marital success, but I want to close here with just some practical stuff, just a few minutes, and then we're, we'll we'll probably just open it up to some questions and talk a little bit before we get out of here. But um, if you've ever, have, have I ever married any of y'all, done any of your weddings? Okay, yeah, Sean and Danielle. I did Latricia's daughter and um, then you've all have heard this but I for a long time most pastors do when I started I used traditional like King James wedding vows right that's what I did just I grabbed a few from some pastor friends of mine that were older and just kind of took their vows and just did them right the pastor's handbook or whatever and I did six or seven weddings in my 20s and I was like this is, is not me. And, uh, you know, I still do the, you know, till death do us part and all that for the actual vows. And the I still do it very high church for the ring and the, uh, the I do's, but for the, the introduction and the sermon portion, it just wasn't me. I could, I was just struggling with it. So it was actually Jim and Teresa Biggs. Um, I was renewing their vows in, uh, Brooklyn, New York, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. It was a really cool trip. We went there for the weekend and the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church where the great Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir uh, is known from Pastor Jim Simbla, phenomenal pastor. We went there and uh, we're able to use the church for free. It was just awesome. And um, so I wrote these vows and and there's really Five principles in marriage if you want a marriage to last. And the first one we've already covered tonight is friendship. Um, your spouse ought to be your best friend. When you come together in one flesh, you're forsaking all others. You're coming together as one. One flesh is what that means. Not your in laws anymore. Not what was. You're forgetting those things which are behind you. And you're joined into a new covenant with someone, a shared destiny. So your spouse ought to be your best friend. That's the most practical advice I can give you. Uh, They ought to be your best friend. Number two, and this one's just real deep theologically, fun. If you're gonna make it, you better learn how to have some fun together. Marriage is not fun with two stiff shirts. Uh, Listen, Kelly and I have fun. We're gonna have fun, all right? If y'all don't want to have fun, don't hang out with us cuz we like to have some fun. We're going to have fun. We we you know, uh she likes different stuff than I do. But she likes to go to concerts. I can handle about 2 a year, but she screams and shouts and dances like a teenager. I can only do a little bit of it, but I do it cuz I love her, you know. But we have fun and she puts up with stuff with me, sports and other things that I like and we do it. But um the Bible says Uh, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And Jesus came that we may have joy and have it to the overflow is what it says in John 15. So if you don't have joy in your marriage, if you don't have fun, um, then someone else is going to want to have fun with your spouse. And I'm not saying that to be ugly. I'm just saying, uh, the marriage shouldn't be, uh, um, you know, some kind of les miserables experience, right? The marriage should be something that gives honor to God where the two people have fun. And so I would say, yes, friendship. Yes. Fun. Three forgiveness. Okay. Um, maybe you're here tonight and you've struggled in marriage in the past. Maybe you've been through some divorces, you know, I'm not here to beat you up about that. That's under the blood. It's forgiven. If you've asked God to forgive you, he forgives, but you have to forgive the person back then that hurt you. So when you enter into a new covenant, you don't bring all that baggage into your new covenant of marriage, into your new marriage. Because if you bring that past stuff back into your new marriage, then what happens is whenever your new partner says anything like the one that hurt you, you react to them as if they have been hurting you for years. When they just said something that somewhat sounded like your history, you need to be free from your history so that you can write a new chapter. And the only way to be free from your history is to forgive the person that hurt you from your past. And if you're in a marriage and your current spouse blows it and hurts you, you need to forgive your spouse. Uh, I know some sins in the confines of marriage are harder to forgive than others. I realize that. But you're most like Jesus when you forgive people that can do nothing for you. You're most like Jesus when you forgive and bless people that have hurt you deeply because we've all hurt Jesus deeply with our sins, but yet he died for us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. So none of us are worthy of that grace. And whenever we give that grace to a fellow human being, especially the person we love that we're married to, it gives glory to God. One of my heroes is Ron Carpenter, Jr. You've heard him preach. He's a friend of mine and has become a mentor the last five years. And we text and talk and, but a simple Google search would give you his history. And it was all over the news years ago, but, uh, his wife, Hope, who I love, who's an anointed woman of God, um, you know, was found out to be having multiple affairs on Ron um, later in their marriage. Ron had made some mistakes early, but this was recent. Come to be known that Hope had been abused a lot as a child and hid it. She had a demonic thing going on there that she had hid for years as a young pastor's wife. And Ron called all his spiritual sons in, Stephen Furtick, others and basically told his church he was divorcing hope that's what he was going to do and he had the biblical grounds to do it and and he had all his sons there they were gonna you know support him in that and he went out you know to a barn they had horses they have some property there in Greenville and God wouldn't let him do it he cried all night and uh, I don't know if I could have done what he did but he forgave hope and he restored her and he stuck with her and I'm telling you, it changed everything about their life. His ministry went to another level, their health, God healed him of a disease. Their children who were in bondage came out of bondage and are now all serving the Lord. Uh, And I think he had to let his flesh go in order to do the spiritual thing. And sometimes for some marriages, you have to do the right thing. Even if it kills your pride, It you want to kill them, you want to punch them, but you decide to do it the God's way. And when you do it God's way, there's a great, great reward. And it was actually Bishop T.D. Jakes that told Ron he needed to do what's right because he told Ron his mistress had been the ministry and that he'd forsaken his whole family and that he was just as bad. And it started a wonderful process. And um, now God's using Hope and Ron around the world in a powerful way. And they're honest about their junk, their mess. They don't sugarcoat it. It's powerful all because they chose to forgive. And Hope had some stuff she had to forgive Ron too as well from way back. But God's made something that was ugly and he's turned it into something beautiful. So we said friendship, we said fun, we said forgiveness. What about forever? Um, if you're married, it's a, supposed to be an eternal thing. Till death do us part. As long as you're on earth together, you're to keep that commitment it, when you get sick of someone, you don't trade them in for someone else. Amen. Uh, It's still death. Do you part. Now I've told Kelly, if I die, especially early, you better remarry. Don't be sitting around, get cry about a year and then move on. You know, that's what I believe. She says she wouldn't, but I don't believe her. You know, I told her to move on and I would want her to move on because we're young. I wouldn't want her to be alone, but that's hard for some people to think about. But Uh, It's till death do you part. There's nothing in the Bible that says you you stay married to nothing, you know, for the rest of your life. You keep that covenant. You're faithful and loyal to it. Um, But uh, at the death of a spouse, you are released from that covenant biblically. Now, many people, especially if they're older, they don't ever remarry because they just don't want to. And I respect that too. But that has to be a personal conviction and it can be, but it's not a biblical conviction. It's a personal uh, decision uh, that we make together. Okay, and so those are some some practical some practical things uh, that I believe God wants you to know. Listen, be a friend to your mate. Have fun together. Have faith. Have a shared destiny learn to forgive one another and by all means when you make a covenant to Mary it is supposed to be for real and it's supposed to be forever and uh, those are the practical aspects of what a covenant is why you should keep it and why God honors it whenever you make a commitment that God's involved in he has no choice but to bless it if you do it his way um, as I said earlier if if you have my email, email me some questions. Any questions for us to think about, talk about? Listen, it doesn't have to be theological. We got like five minutes, five or six minutes. Anybody have any questions? I'll do my best to answer it. If not, I'll put you on hold and I'll bring you an answer next week. If you stump me too bad, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you an answer next week. But it might even be something about me and Kelly. I, you know, it could be something cheesy or practical. I don't care. Anybody have any questions? The, the fifth F... Um, I think it, the fifth F was forever. The one I left out earlier, I think, was uh, faith. I said faithfulness, but I, I left out uh, faith. <clears throat> and that goes to the shared destiny part, that God brings people together with a shared destiny and he blesses uh, a person with a shared destiny. Like I said, I, you know, Kelly and I both have a heart for young people that get married we really do and uh if you have children or family members or people in the community you know we I certainly would love to to try to talk with them and uh you know we've God has blessed us listen we, we we're God has done so much and but please don't ever underestimate when we say the first five or six years we're re- literally hell on earth and uh uh, God had to really get involved, and, and we, when when I speak to students, and we've done some Q and A's together before. I may pull her up here before this is over with, and she she doesn't like that, but she does good at it, and you know, I answer some questions. But it literally, you know, nearly killed us both. We just weren't ready, and so we we encourage students to not do it our way, even though God's blessed it. We're we're loving now that we don't have little kids and like we're having fun with our lives and we're still young like we're 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 blessed now but we we tell young people don't don't do it our way uh we have at f c a camps and listen we wouldn't wish our journey on anyone um we there was a lot of good in it, and God's used all of it but there's there's a way I believe God uh wants you to do things and and we we had some of those boxes checked, but most of them we didn't and you know, we, we encourage our boys to, to, to not do it our way. And, uh, so far they haven't, but there's still two young ones coming up. So we'll, we'll see because we'll get into parenting, uh, the next couple of weeks and th- that's a whole different animal. So a few more minutes, any other questions? Uh, we love the beach and, and the sun. We hate cruises. We tried one of those. We don't like the small rooms and the constant movement. My parents, completely opposite. They're on a cruise now. They've been on like 50. And they've bragged on cruises their whole life. We went on one. We hated it. We got in a fight one night. I, she had this ugly dress on. It looked like something from Woodstock, 1969. And it was dress up night and I, she had taken this white dress I really liked and I had my tux on and I said something smart about the dress and Jim and Teresa were there we got we got to fighting so bad we didn't even finish dinner it's the truth because of something stupid I said over a dress I didn't like and uh, we loved to be on the beach um, we loved that just just packing a cooler and, and being there from about 11 to about 5 then go having a, a dinner somewhere we we really like an all inclusive where we don't have to drive, we don't have to move. We're at one place that's beautiful. Um, because our favorite day on the cruise was actually when the ship stopped and we hung out somewhere, what was Saint Thomas or Saint Martin? We that and so we we kind of figured out years ago that we don't want to be moving around. We want to go somewhere. So, um, you know. For her, it's going to be a concert, Angie. But, I mean, that would be her favorite. Mine, you know, uh, it would be on a beach somewhere eating eating some nice seafood, looking at the ocean, you know. And uh, for me, sometimes it's good to have the kids. But, you know, it's a lot more fun when the kids aren't there. I'll just be honest with you. Yeah, I was gonna say my favorite date night is some being somewhere watching some college football, but I, 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 you know, that's really not a date. So I was just trying to to keep it real. Any other questions for us? Marriage stuff, covenant stuff. So when arguments happen, mm-hmm. they're absolutely going to. So yes. Like We're gonna get in this in a few weeks, but but uh, people need to learn to take a timeout, a spiritual timeout. And what the biggest mistake we make in marriages is we're trying to make our point instead of make up. And what what ends up happening is when two people are angry and they're both trying to make a point my experience is they're both right and they're both wrong. And one's fighting for what they're right about. The other's fighting for what they're right about. And what ends up or what can happen is the argument can go about an hour too long and it can transition from what started the argument to a history recap of everything the person's ever said wrong, done wrong, going back 20 years. Then the foul language starts and the name calling. Look, I'm just being real. Thank you for your question because it's a real question. And I think many times if people would take a spiritual time out, go for a walk, whatever it is you do, read a book, go exercise, go to, if you have a room in your house that's not occupied or that maybe has a TV in it, go watch, I mean, separate for some time. Especially if both people have a relationship with God, uh, you don't have to get the last word in if you love someone and then, you know, try to come back together at, and people say, well, don't ever go to bed mad. Well, I, that I, that is the goal, but I, that's not probably a reality for most of us. If you've ever been married, you're gonna have some fights, but schedule a time, not a month later, But within 24 to 48 hours after you've taken that time out and calmed down, to come back together and come up with a compromise. Don't just restart the argument. Join back together to try to find common ground and compromise. That's what people that love each other do, which means when you come back together after the blow-up, you give a little and they give a little. Um, And then you come up with a compromise and then the compromise needs to be something you're both going to try to do better at. And then after you come to a resolve, you forgive each other, whatever, don't bring it up the next day, give it a month and then come back to it when things are good and go, Hey, that really, you know, celebrate the fact that you were able to reach compromise because a lot of marriages can't. It's just, it gets so far gone and the arguing just continues and continues and continues. So um, arguments do happen, especially with two type A people, Kelly and I are both type A's and when we're on the same team, we're, we're hard to deal with. And, uh, but when we're, when we're against each other, you know, it's burn the house down stuff. So, um, but the Lord's really matured us in that the fight and the hurt is, uh, you know, 20 years later, I, I don't remember the last time we've had a big fight. I really don't. But we had enough of them those first five to eight years to last a lifetime, and uh, and we have them. It just doesn't happen as often, and I think it's just because we really don't want we really don't want to hurt each other. Right? We really don't we don't want to waste uh, you know a week on s- something that we know is not that important in the grand scheme of things. And so I hope that helps you. But that's one of the big pieces of advice I give my couples before you know, I officiate or do their wedding, you know, is, is learn how, uh, to take a time out. The other thing that I make my couples do is something called active listening. And I don't know if you've ever been trained in active listening, but basically it's a drill where when you're talking with someone instead, when, when you're disagreeing about something, instead of responding to their statement, you repeat back to them, not word for word what they said, but what you heard. And there's a phrase, all my couples have made fun of me because I just drill this into them, but there's a phrase that you have to make the couples use. And that is, so what you're saying is. So like, if I came home, this is an example, and said, is there nothing for dinner? (laughs) Sean, what did I say? Okay. And I said, is there nothing for dinner? What she heard was why haven't you provided me dinner when we've both been working all day, but that's not what I said. So what ends up happening is, and men do it too. Men hear things emotionally too. It's not just women. And so she responds to me, then, then So what you teach your couples to do is say, so what you're saying is, why haven't I made you dinner after I've been working all day? No, that's not. Then it gives me the opportunity to say, no, that's not what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. What are we doing for dinner? Blah blah. blah. But a lot of times we just at each other before we really get to the root of what we're saying. So active listening and taking a time out will work if people will commit to doing it. All right. All right, I'm going to wrap it up so they can do do some practice tonight. Hey, invite some people back. We're going to have some fun the next five Wednesdays. We're going to get a little bit more into parenting. There's some more on this I want to finish um, next week, and then we're going to get into some parenting. So let me pray y'all out of here. Father God, thank you for this awesome time. Lord, we pray that people who are uh, newly married or maybe They're the in-laws of a newly married couple that people would make their way into these teachings for the next five weeks. We thank you for those who are here tonight. We ask that you bless them. Lord, we know that you designed our relationships to be very similar to your relationship with us. And so Lord, teach us to love one another. Teach us to forgive one another. Teach us to keep our commitments. Lord, teach us to find compromise when we disagree. Lord, we just believe that there are families in this region that need to be in your house, that need to be in your word, that need other Christian couples in their lives. So, Father God, put people in our lives that will challenge us, that will help us grow spiritually and biblically. And Lord, I pray for everybody in this room, whatever they're going through. Maybe they just came out of something. Lord, I just pray you give them joy and peace and rest and sleep tonight, good sleep. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.